no hurry. <laughs> if you need water again, there's some here, you can just come and take. <laughs> So um, yesterday morning I mentioned a, a little on the theme of disturbance or hindrance or difficulty or that whole string of words that can be used pointing to that aspect of our experience that can happen for us, does happen for us in life and, and on retreat. And um, yeah, so I want to offer a little bit of a, this is a sort of smorgasbord talk. Um, I hope that's not offensive to anyone as a bit of cultural appropriation. That's my understanding and experience of it. It's a sort of sense of laying out some different teachings and kind of thoughts and images from different teachers and from the Buddha. And... You know, it's always in our practice, isn't it? There's a sense of that we're we're trying to find a wise relationship to our experience. I mean, that's one way. I sometimes kind of, you know, just a concise sort of like, what are we doing? Well, maybe that is one of the things we're doing. And that this includes working with the, the whatever that energy that we might recognize that experience, mental, emotional, and definitely registering sort of physically and energetically and perhaps also seeing it in our behavior or, you know, reflected back to us in different ways. These energies that are, um, you know, painful, difficult, and, you know, I'm sure you're all very, very well aware of the traditional teachings of the hindrances. And, um, and so just notice as we go through kind of what resonates, what you might recognize from your experience, you know, today or on this retreat or even, you know, right now. Because, you know, are we feeling completely free and open and calm and clear? Wonderful. If so, sadhu, sadhu. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Animodana, maybe it's a better word. Um, but... You know, that sense of the, that that's a lot of what we practice. And one of my teachers will always really encourage a sense of finding a kind of helpful relationship to the hindrances because they're going to be around for a while, probably. <laughs> and so, you know, that, that they, so that's, that's part of what I want to share is maybe some different teachings and Images that sort of point to this sense of like how do we recognize and how do we kind of fold this into our practice and sort of really make peace with these sometimes or often unwanted guests. And um, it's one of so, so the image of a guest house from Rumi's great poem, which actually I don't think I'm going to read, but. So I'm going to invite you to now and after this, if you if you wish. It's like images can, you know, either from the teachings or from our own heart, from our own mind. Like, how am I feeling? You know, 
What is the state of my mind? What's it like? You know, how would we describe that? Might it be a picture or a little bit of music? You know, some, sometimes um, some of, some, I don't know if you've done this, some teachers in, in, encourage, you can sometimes like draw just a little kind of like drawing of your, of just your state of mind. You know, and I have done that sometimes. Um, and sometimes, I guess, Im- images come come to you. But I think sometimes that, you know, when somebody asks you, how are you? You just go, well, um, <laughs> you know, what do you say? It's kind of hard to, you know, fine. It's, uh, it's, so, so that sense of, you know, and I use gestures a lot, as you probably real- realised by now. And sometimes for me that that is a way of, you know, expressing that chitta state that, you know, um, whether it's a hindrance or whether it's joy or... So what I want to share, I think, is relevant to, you know, the, the, the state of the mind, whether it's happy or, you know, not happy or somewhere in between. And... As I was also saying at some point, and I was like the identification with these, you know, states can be very, very strong and, and really quite unconscious. So helpful to know and to develop that relationship of a kind of wise understanding of the nature. And, and anyway, so this is what I want to. We'll see. I've got lots of things I want to share, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so, uh, another thing I want to try and begin with, and maybe frame the talk a little bit and kind of come back at the, at the end, is to begin with a sense of... Um, so there's a, a teaching from the Buddha you're probably familiar with, the nature of mind is radiant and pure, and it it is obscured by visiting defilements. The nature of mind is radiant and pure. So, it's like, can we be, you know, what do we know of, of that? Maybe, are we even in touch with some to that, uh, with that to some degree, where we can kind of intuit it or sense it or even imagining it and, and in imagining maybe there, there it is, you know, to some degree. So the sense of the talking with uh, a couple of people this week of this sort of sense of, you know, there is experience, lovely and difficult and neutral, and yet it can sometimes feel like there's just the mind is so equanimous and still and things are happening and the mind isn't moving for or against anything and how beautiful that feels. If we've I, I imagine we've probably all tasted that a little because I, I feel like it's one of the things that like draws us back to this practice again and again so that sense of the beautiful the beautiful mind and that's a teaching I want to share from 
from from Gil Fronstal, but I want to save that a bit till the end. But so so you know the image of a guest house, of 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 this mind being like a a space through which experience passes. And one of the images the Buddha uses in the advice to Rahula, you know, the different ways of training your mind. It's like one of them is develop a mind that's a vast like space where within which experience, both pleasant and unpleasant, can appear and disappear without conflict, struggle or harm. Yeah. So, and so, so another thing I want to point to, and I again, I, I know it doesn't, it's not, it doesn't always feel like this. That it's so close, and maybe you could even say it's it's, it's the same. It's, it's here, both the, the difficulty and the clarity, the obstruction, the obscuration, and the the clarity. So, I, I want to kind of just, you know, that the, the the treasure hidden in plain sight is a sense of, you know, sometimes I know some people work with like already here, you know, awakening is already present, it's already happening, we just have to wake up to the awakeness of the mind. So that sort of sense of, you know, how especially when you're on a longer retreat, you kind of have these images or, you know, your whole life and like, you know, it's this big, long thing. And maybe if you're really lucky, you know, after long, long time, you might, you know, in this sense of here and now, here and now, what might be known or perceived or open to, and just as things are, yeah, it's lovely or as difficult or as confusing as they might be. Uh, so I, I find this a very beautiful pointing. And it's always pointing us back to the here and now of kind of what we what we feel we know and what we kind of intuit is sort of possible or a potential or a sense of yeah, a sense of possibility. So, let's see. Um, I think my notes are upside down. I don't know. Um, okay. So, um, right. So, just again, sharing before we go through some of the more specifics of hindrances and so on, I want to share another quote from uh, Ajahn Chah which I, you're probably very familiar with. It's one of my, probably my top ten Dharma beloved quotes. And uh, for me, it, 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 I think part of why I love it is that it evokes this sense of, you know, the, the awakeness of the mind that's natural and here and now, and the, the kinds of appearances that kind of, you know, can can draw our attention and the potential for a kind of wholeness with all of that. Um, so 
Anyway, here's, here's Ajahn Chah. Be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still in any surroundings, like a clear forest pool. All kinds of wonderful, rare animals will come to drink at the pool, and you will clearly see the nature of all things. You will see many strange and wonderful things come and go, but you will be still. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So, you have any strange or wonderful animals around your pool? <laughs> if there have been any wandering around today that you've noticed? And, you know, some of them are really scary. That might be some of the hindrance type energies, forms. And what parts of our life, parts of our experience, parts of what happens around us that, yeah, create some very frightening creatures. What what is it that we, yeah, what is it the mind is doing? You know, so we're always, aren't we, looking for what happens at contact, with contact there's feeling, with feeling there's perception, with perception there's thinking, with thinking a world is created. So we, we again and again, don't we see that happening? And perhaps every time, you know, we see that, it's enhancing this capacity to uh, to, to know, to be present with, with life in a in a, in a non-clinging way. I mean, that's maybe another way of this sense of, you know, life just continues to happen and there's just no clinging. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's one way of maybe describing the goal. So, um, I'd also like to share a couple of quotes which kind of again looking for images not just of the specifics of you know the hindrance and either again from the teachings or from your own you know what you know those familiar expressions and just being able to know and name that Um, also a sense of what the process might look or feel like you know, so with Ajahn Chah's image or the image of a guest house and these different images. So just noticing, and these digestive metaphors seem to appeal for me, <laughs> for whatever reason. So it's noticing again, like what, what kind of speaks to you. Maybe it's different things at different moments. So, so this from Thich Nhat Hanh, If we are aware of the paradise around us, it is because we have tasted suffering and we have learned how to practice with it and how to transform it into happiness. So beautiful. And so 
just I'm picking up on the tasting happiness or tasting suffering. Sorry, it's like very. It's a sensing. It's like it's very. Something with a lot of the similes of the Buddha and these different similes from different teachers, like they're trying to, again, the mind, it's like this, or the process of transformation, it's like this, you know, and that gives us kind of pointers and supports and a kind of, oh, so tasting, I mean, when you, it's like very intimate, isn't it? It's very suffering, what does that taste like? But it's this sort of invitation to, not to maybe, I don't know, spit it out. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's this turning towards suffering. It's a turning towards what's difficult, what's unpalatable. What's unpalatable. And this, I know it can be the hardest thing in the world for us, you know. And so counterintuitive on one level. The last thing we want to do is turn towards the unpalatable or taste it. But this sense of, again, these images sometimes of like compost, which maybe there's another quote from him on that, but this sense of maybe we could see ourselves as a great big beautiful Dharma compost heap. I don't know. <laughs> but the sense of that everything, you know, everything that we experience, everything that it, it's all it can all be embraced in this process of healing and liberation and how how that actual the energy so if i think of it in terms of energy getting trans, sort of transmuted and transformed so the energy in for example anger or the energy in any hindrance or uh afflictive emotion or whatever it's like oh there's energy in there that when we learn how to you know and I don't know how to put this into words it's almost like a sort of like an artist or a sculptor or something like working with that you know and you put a bit more water on it to make it a bit more you know and how to how to work with that like a a, a maybe like a gardener with a compost heap which you have to you know sort of I remember one retreat I spent about seven days turning a compost heap up the other way, if you see what I mean, like I moved the compost heap from there to there in the process, turn it upside down. It was a very educational experience. <laughs> and so the sense of the, yeah, the, the how to be with what is difficult in a way which is not feeding overwhelm, it's not you know, acting it out, or believing in it, you know, it's this middle way between maybe repression and struggle on the one hand and then, well, various things, isn't it? Denial, avoidance, it's like, oh, right. So, another quote from Ajahn Suchito, just a little section which is on this uh, digestive uh, theme problems are problems as long as we have the idea that there shouldn't be any it's not something to put on the fridge or something (laughs) 
problems are problems as long as we have the idea that there shouldn't be any. If we think that, you know, if we drop the shouldn't be any, again, codependent arising. It's it's very, yeah. Maybe we still have experience, maybe we still have an unpleasant experience, but do we have a problem anymore? Maybe not. But when problems, difficulties, obstacles and hindrances are taken as food, something that you learn to chew over, digest and take in, they become part of life rather than something outside you attacking you, something to be blamed. So I'd like to share a few of the images from the Buddha and just to to touch on these um, classically taught hindrances that you're probably very, very aware of. And one of the ongoing inquiries and almost a sort of maturation in practice is to be able to recognize them you know, recognize them in our in our experience. Because I have this feeling that they're, they, you know, we read the thing and we go, yeah, mm-hmm. but do you know, do you know what a version feels like in your body, in your mind? Do you recognize it? You know, I think this is, yeah, this is to me very interesting because I think that it has some manifestations which are not so obvious Um, and yeah so maybe that has to remain a bit of a process sometimes it's more obvious so I want to share these um, teachings these images from the Buddha the similes from, from the Samyutta Nikaya 4655 if you want to look them up so this uses the image of a bowl of water. You probably know these. But this again is like the mind is like water, like a body of water. Sometimes he talks about it being like a lake or a swamp or lots of water, you know, or a river. So again, you know, it's, it's maybe this resonates for you, maybe it doesn't. So again, like I was saying at the beginning, you might you might find these very helpful pointers, but you might also say, well, what does irritation, for example, what does that actually feel like? Like how how might there be a simile that might be more accurate, you know, or more somehow feel more resonant? But these I think point point us in a good direction. Um, so the bowl of water for um, sense sense desire. A bowl of water mixed with dye is like a mind obsessed with sensual desire. One neither knows nor sees as it really is one's own good or the good of others or the good of both. So, 
you know, that sense of, we all experience, don't that, like what Ajahn Sajita also calls things are scattered with fairy dust, you know, it's like, wow, you know, that cushion, if I had that cushion, oh, my practice would be so, you know, or it's something on the lunch table. I, I, I can remember one, one retreat that I was on here, and they put these cinnamon rolls out one breakfast. And I was frothing at the mouth. I mean, it was shocking. (laughs) You know, food is definitely an arena for sensual desire, but I was so shocked that there was something about that. It was just some flour and, you know, the yeast or whatever it was sitting there, but it was like, you know, like, you know, it's like, I'm fabulous, you know. This whole kind of deluding quality that 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 the object acquires through this sort of, you know, tint, tintedness of perception of the mind, seeing things as as you know, just able to offer what they can't. And you know, we all know we will experience this probably in different ways on retreat, of course, in our life so helpful to use this image sometimes like what what is the mind being I have a huge fantasy life about being in the UK because I don't live there at the moment so it is Shangri-La you know it is the most best place on the planet you know it's just (laughs) I'm laughing because of course it's a mess like everywhere else but I really see that sense of kind of, you know, so what, what do you project onto? It's so helpful to see because it's so convincing. I get very convinced and then I go and I have these, you know, times in England and it's like some of it's pleasant, some of it's unpleasant, some of it's like, why don't I do this? And <laughs> I want to go home. <laughs> I want to come back to my nice house here. So there we are. Seem to have to keep learning that. Some very, very deep attachments. I think one of mine is my, my, my land, my homeland. So, you know, it's seeing that sense of, um, like, knowing, recognizing, right, that something is really deluding the mind about whatever it is you're thinking about. So you're looking kind of back, Right, you peel your attention off the, the thing and the and like what is happening in the mind? And what am I, you know, the lens I'm looking through? You know, and sometimes then I find with my, my UK fantasies that I can sort of enjoy them and let them bloom and then let go. And <laughs> maybe I'll do it, maybe I won't, but you know, it's like there's more understanding about, well, okay, that's gonna happen and then let it bloom. I must have this sense of I just need to let things sort of bloom. Understanding that it's a little fantasy flower, you know, and then have to kind of believe in it, get carried away in it. But that deluding quality, we all know, you know, that we lose touch with, um, yeah, our own good. What's what's really a benefit to us, to others. So these working with these hindrances yeah, has a very strong ethical sort of ethical side to it that kind of you know when we can work with them and recognize them and name them and you know learn to relate wisely to them, we are really 
strengthening our ethical capacity. I think that's, I find that a helpful, helpful perspective. So then, just to go through the other ones briefly, the, so the bowl of water um, heated over a fire, bubbling and boiling. It's like a mind obsessed with ill will. And again, you know, yeah, <laughs> I recognize that. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Then again, kind of just being able to recognize maybe the subtler qualities and some different images might be helpful. But you know that that sense of the chitta, the heart, the heart mind, this this sensitivity that I think of the mind as a field of sensitivity, awareness, you know, with I don't know awareness and aware sensitivity. It's just like we're being affected so all the time. So this sort of recognition of the effects of. Of, of ill will, ill will towards ourselves, which again is a sadly common thing. So the image for sloth and torpor, um, it's like a, a bowl of water covered over with, with water plants and algae. It's like a bowl of water stirred by the wind, rippling, swirling, churned into wavelets. Mm. Yeah, I often feel like that. That speaks to me of the sort of rippling of, of thoughts. And then doubt, which is likened to a bowl of water that is turbid, unsettled, muddy, and placed in the dark. So that sense of, that mindfulness can know that. I think that's, you know, that... So it's you have this double trouble, don't you? It's like your mind is really sod, sod, sodden and kind of fuzzy and you know unsettled, and it, plus you're you're in a dark place. So you know it's, but you can be mindful of that, and I I, I sometimes feel like that's also really helpful with working with the hindrances. We don't really know which one it is, or it's seems to be all of them or it's something else just you know that sort of this is this is confusion or this is conf- this is you know some this is disturbance that's what I was saying yesterday just being able to note note that okay so gosh um, <laughs> maybe I yeah let's see so yeah, there's so much to share about this. 
I want to mention a sort of, um, in the structure of my talk, I won't go into it in too much detail, but it, I think it's so such a helpful teaching that you probably know is the acronym RAIN from, I think originally comes from Michelle MacDonald. So in working with mind states, so recognize is the R, accept is the A, uh, investigate is the I, if you don't know these, and then N is non-identify. I've noticed in other teachings from other teachers it's morphed into nurture, so I sometimes add that, so you have rain with two N's, because I think that's good as well. You can, we can also make our own. We can make our own teaching structures. Why not? Use the creativity of your own mind. And I've, I've come back to this again and again. So part of what I'm sharing with these images, isn't it? I've talked a lot about recognizing and kind of investigating, allowing a state to speak, to sort of express itself. And then this acceptance piece, which, again, there's so many different ways this comes up and so many, so many teachers touch on this in different, in different ways. So I just wanted to share a couple of voices on this because um, I think it is, again, when the hindrance, the hindrance or disturbance, like, they generally don't feel pleasant. They generally don't. Maybe, I don't know. So the tendency for them to condition aversion is very, very strong. So this this turning, turning towards um, bringing an attitude of accepting, allowing, letting be, different opening to... I mean, maybe you've experienced this. I... I, I think that it is, I, I, I think I've always found it helpful, not, not like the answer to everything, but part of what opens up the process and kind of gets us beyond this sort of circular thing that we're in, the feeling of stuck with something. I remember years ago I was on an aeroplane and it was during a period where I, was very, I got very frightened when I was flying. And so I remember one time I was, you know, right, let's practice with this, okay, fear, fear, you know, and that going sort of really like, oh, yeah, let's open to this. And so, you know, that sense of opening to the body, the bodily aspect, and opening to, yeah, the heart, I mean, it's often sort of a bit tearful and, yeah, oh, and then the thoughts, about it and then just opening and opening and what happened on this one memorable occasion was it really did open like sometimes you know you go in and you ask it to open and it says no I'm not opening today sorry come back tomorrow <laughs> but on this occasion there was enough readiness and willingness in it open and I I think that then as the the the, the fear started to sort of be you know allowed again the, the mahachitta the great, the, the space, the spaciousness, op- opening, allowing that energy, it, it, it's, it started to change and it, it's like the whole sort of, sort of chitta thing turned into being, being really sad. 
just sort of grief, sad, somehow leaving my beloved country and just the sadness of the fearful, vulnerable situation of human beings, of sentient beings. And then I was like, just open to that, open to that, hoping people near me couldn't, you know, weren't disturbed by the sobbing or anything. Um, And then just letting that open further. And actually, what happened then, it it turned into gratitude. And and that's always kind of inspired me when I remember that, that, that I don't always manage to do it and it doesn't always go that nicely. But this sense that I really, I really trust this kind of, you know, turning towards and opening to. So I shared this quote from Joseph last week. I'm going to share it again. The non-seeing of suffering is what keeps us locked into it. Seeing it, turning towards it, opening to it, allows it to wash through and away. Again, it's another water, another water simile, isn't it? There's this softening and opening the body. For me, it often has to be, first of all, an ab- almost absolute acceptance. Don't try and do anything with it. And this is very much echoed by um, Gil Fronsdahl's teaching, which I am going to shift and include a little bit at this point. So I don't want to get through this talk without including this. So he has this acronym um, similar to RAIN, only a bit different. And it's maybe something you're familiar with. I'll put this on the board for you, Gil's one. Um, It's an acronym that spells BELLA, which you probably know means beautiful in Italian. So, um, I guess this is beginning to come towards the last part of the talk. Like I said, I wanted to kind of come right round to kind of where I started, the beautiful mind. Oh, the, the mind, the, the, the mind. So Gill says, this acronym describes the mind that is revealed when the hindrances are overcome and mindfulness becomes strong. Yeah, so the the beauty of the mind, and again, just all these words and things that are being referred to and the content of our experience and this sense of probably, even if it doesn't feel all completely beautiful and clear, and it's like, ah, that is really possible. We have tasted that. And the, the absence of the hindrances is possible. Um, so anyway, so then the, the B, it's like when a hindrance appears, it is useful first to let it be, not acting on it or reacting to it. Yeah, so this sense of, um, Bhikkhu Inalio talks very beautifully about this as well, of, 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 of this sort of non-reactive, very powerful it's like the last thing you know if you're angry it's like getting you it's like make you know it's like it wants you to do stuff and you know so to be to be still with that that's quite an ask 
I just found again and again this is so powerful, so helpful um, to to learn to to do that, just to to let it be, not acting on it or reacting to it. Um, yeah. And um, oh gosh, there's so much I want to share, but anyway, I'll, maybe. Um, Images from Ajahn Suchito. For those of you who know him, he's a great f- fountain of imagery. <laughs> it's like, his, um, like many teachers are. Anyway, I so in particular in relation to this first advice of Gil. So I was listening to one talk, and he talked about so the hindrances are coming at you, or you know the and. Uh, so he's, he's saying something like, there's a the bear, there's a bear, and the bear is pawing at you, you know, like trying to see if you're, you know, I know, tasty or something. And his advice is, play dead. <laughs> play dead. Right? It's just, I hope you get that sense of, it's this sort of non-reactive, that, that particular skill with hindrance there's not there's lots of skills of course but or like if the he says if the hindrance is like an octopus which I think doubt often is and I say yeah but you know what should I do I don't yeah but I could do this and I could do that it's like an octopus that it's got all these tentacles and and you know kind of entrapping you and he his advice is go still and small which is similar right And then lastly, um, which I also think is maybe like doubt, when particularly on the level of thoughts, like a swarm of flies. Maybe the other hindrances as well, like do this, do this, you want that, go and do that, or yeah, whatever it might be. And this sense of trying to kind of tell you what's what so his his advice this was just just to have the attitude don't know which in is english for don't know in case you don't understand don't know <laughs> don't know maybe there's you know the way and there are things in your life or in your practice come at you and it's like they're just absolutely demanding you to know something or just to know what to do you know, this, I don't know. So anyway, I found those helpful. <laughs> so much more to explore, but I, I want to kind of draw this to a close. Um, and to kind of just come back to this kind of sense of the beautiful mind, the mind that even in the presence of disturbance is beautiful. Awareness is here. Awareness is is knowing, can be knowing this moment, however difficult or messy or confusing it might be. And there's beauty in that. And, And what's pointed to here, the absence of the hindrances, and the hindrances are in abeyance, then, um, so as as Gill says in the at the A, 
the end of Bella. Appreciate its absence. Appreciate its absence. And so this is this is a key in the advice from the Buddha. Uh, you know, to know its presence, its absence, and know how it arises, how it ceases. But this sense of enjoying, you know, maybe we were really, really caught up earlier in the day and now we're like, ah, maybe it's not completely absent, but it's more absent than it was, right? So you're appreciating the sort of lower, a lesser, the lessening of it. And that, to me, is so encouraging because you see, oh, it changes. It changes. It gets more intense. It gets less intense. And with seeing, we stay in touch with that process. We're learning about the conditions that, you know, are associated with it getting stronger and weaker and then its absence. So maybe... Yeah, so the way he says, he says, unhindered attention is a treasure. To be present without being hijacked by the hindrances is a joy. So maybe we can, again, and the images he includes here, the treasure, the treasure of unhindered attention, something to really treasure, you know, and to notice, again, the, the lessening or the absence of the hindrances, really, you know, to be enjoyed, appreciated. And that sense of, you know, oh, how lovely. Right now, I am not totally overwhelmed by something. Isn't that great? You know, I'm with it. Even if it hasn't completely gone. How wonderful. What a blessing. You know, we, we, we have this capacity naturally, but so much of our practice is just like, oh, you know, waking up to that. We're here. We can be aware. And the way everything can flow from that. And so, yeah, may we continue to practice and find encouragement and, yeah, a sense of faith wherever we can um, in our own experience you know, from being with others from, from the teachings and from just the, the real privilege and joy of being somewhere like this which is completely devoted to to our potential to our healing and to the liberation of our minds, you know, for our benefit and for the benefit of all beings everywhere. So thank you for your kind attention. And uh, let's um, close our evening together by sharing, sharing the blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org.
donate.